part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our Thursday morning episode. We're producing with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, November 30th, and we're broadcasting live from the Spice Radio studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, we're going back to the basics. What are unions and why do they matter? So whether you're a new listener and curious about labor unions, or you're a strong union member and supporter and you want something to share with interested folks, maybe you're a parent or a teacher curious about how to explain unions to young folks, you know, I hope this episode will be a resource for you. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment to thank our very first sponsor for Shop Talk. At the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exist as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters. We encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So I do have some programming updates and plugs, but I'm going to save that for the end of the show. So please do stick around for that, especially you regular listeners. Educating workers about unions, what they are, how to form one, why we need them. That's all part of our mission here at the Valley Labor Report. It's why we do segments like that on a regular basis on our main Saturday show. And it's why we created this more educational-themed Shop Talk series. Definitely check out our Unions 101 and Unions 201 playlist on our YouTube channel. Personally, I really loved our Unions 101 episode we did last year around May Day, where we had a panel of some of the most dynamic union organizers in the country. Really loved that. There were some great folks, great conversation. So... It has been a while, though, since we spent an episode going back to the basics, and that's what we're going to do today. A lot of this comes from a presentation that I make when I do school visits on behalf of the North Alabama Labor Council. 
which on that note, I'd love to speak to social studies or career prep classes here in the Tennessee Valley. So if there's any teachers listening, y'all hit me up. And as I mentioned in the intro, I'm trying to think of different audiences here. Uh, Those of you who are new and have maybe heard about unions but don't really know what's up, uh, as well as our regular listeners who may be curious about this episode for their own education and outreach purposes. Uh, Like I said, if you're a union activist and you want something to share with uh, new folks, folks who are interested, if you're a parent or a teacher and you're interested in explaining unions to young folks, hopefully this will be a good resource for you. The labor movement is resurgent in a way we haven't seen in my lifetime uh, in many of yours listening. Opinion polls confirm that the people are behind labor unions in a huge way, including nearly 90% of Americans under 30. That is incredible, especially when you compare that to the approval of Congress or politicians like Trump and Biden. That means we have a historic opportunity And as part of that, educating workers and young people is critical to our success. We have to tell people our story because, after all, we can't rely on the bosses or their media to give us a fair shake. So I want everyone listening to think about a couple questions. What is currently fair and not fair wherever you spend your time? At home, school? work, the community, what's fair, what's not fair, what would you change, and why? What are some things that you think all workers should have the right to have, and why? What are some rules that you think all workplaces should have, and why? What do you know right now about the workers' rights and protections that are in place, in the United States today? Those are the sorts of questions that we ask in the labor movement, and those are the sorts of questions I wanted you to consider for today's conversation. So I do want to mention right off the bat, since I I included that I visit schools here in Alabama to give some form of this presentation, it is in the uh, Alabama Course of Study Standards. Learning about labor unions is part of our history curriculum. Uh, It's in ninth grade world history. It's in 10th grade U.S. history. It's in 11th grade U.S. history. And it's in 12th grade economics. And at this point, you know, if I'm speaking to a class, usually I would give some introduction, right? Because the kids are wondering, who's this guy? The teacher may be wondering, who is this guy? What gives him any credibility to speak about this? So I'm not going to bore y'all with the whole bio, uh, but what I'll say is that I'm not a scholar of the labor movement. I'm a firsthand participant. And for the last decade or so, I have been active in the labor movement here in Alabama. I have served in various roles and capacities. I started out as a high school history teacher where I actually taught those standards that I just mentioned. Uh, taught about labor unions in ninth grade world history as well as 11th grade U.S. history. I got very involved, and that started my journey in this labor movement. So I have been elected to various positions like executive board and state and national delegate. I have served in various positions like bargaining team, 
Uh, I have, oh, a building representative slash steward, uh, which I can speak about later what that is. Um, I spent over five years as an employee of a union. So I was a field staff representative, and I actually represented over 1,500 employees here in Huntsville. Um, so I, I have experience working in the labor movement in various roles. I have assisted with new organizing campaigns. So I have experience in terms of building an organizing committee to unionize a new shop. Uh, I know what it's like to sit across from the boss and advocate for your coworkers and advocate for your members. I know what it's like to go public advocating for your members and be in the media spotlight. And I'm really lucky that I've been able to connect with so many people uh, through the course of this work. And I'm just a Southern boy, spent my whole life in Mississippi and Alabama. And I have been able to travel to all sorts of places across the country um, because of this work. So Chicago, DC, Austin, Denver, uh, Jackson, all sorts of places. And I'm really lucky. Some of that is from the Valley Labor Report, which I've been doing for the last couple of years. We're Alabama's only union talk radio show. Uh, but between all those different roles, uh, I've met a lot of fantastic people uh, from across the globe. And that's something unique about labor uh, is that it can bring people together from very different backgrounds. Right now, I serve with IATSE Local 900. That's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. We are the local stagehands union in Huntsville, behind-the-scenes entertainment industry workers. Uh, I serve as the political coordinator for the local, and I also serve as a delegate to the North Alabama Labor Council and do a lot of our education and outreach work there. Uh, the North Alabama Labor Council, that is the regional federation of local unions in the area, no matter where you're at, there should be a labor council, often called a CLC, a Central Labor Council, uh, some sort of regional federation of the local unions in your area. So that's a little bit about me, why I am speaking about this. Uh, again, I don't think I'm particularly experienced, uh, especially when I compare myself to my mentors and some of the folks in this movement that are the OGs, the folks I really look up to and respect, I still consider myself pretty green. Uh, but at the same time, I recognize I have uh, experiences and training that a lot of workers, particularly in the South, simply don't have. So that leads us to the big question. What is a union? And I want to start just with what the Department of Labor says, right? Because the U.S. government has actually come up with a definition for what is a union. And a labor union is a group of two or more employees who join together to advance common interests such as wages, benefits, schedules, and other employment terms and conditions. Joining together or acting collectively Workers represented by unions have a powerful voice that strengthens their ability to negotiate with their employer about their concerns. Higher wages, health insurance, vacation days, paid sick leave and retirement benefits, 
are a few examples of what workers achieve through their unions. Workers also pursue other enhancements such as flexible scheduling, protections against harassment, and safer working conditions that improve the quality of jobs and workers' well-being. Unions are membership-driven, democratic organizations governed by laws that require financial transparency and integrity, fair elections and other democratic standards, and fair representation of all workers. So, that is the official United States government definition of what is a labor union. To put it shortly, it's an organized association of workers, typically in a particular trade or profession, but it's formed to protect and further your rights and interests as a worker, as an employee. And what is a worker? Right? We, we have to define certain key terms, uh, and a lot of times, whatever subject you're, you're studying, right, there's going to be a lot of key terms and acronyms and vocabulary uh, that you may not be familiar with on the, from the outside. Those of us who are very involved in unions are really guilty of throwing around these terms and vocabulary and acronyms that a lot of people simply don't know uh, if they're not in this world. So this define, you know, what is a worker? A worker reports to a boss. They sell their labor for money, whether that's money from wages or a salary. Uh, that's how they get their money, is from wages or salaries in, in exchange for their labor, right? Some people make a living off of profits or interest, investments, rents, not workers. Workers make a living off their labor. They are considered employees. Though it's important to note that in the United States, there are workers who are not legally defined as employees. That's a whole nother conversation. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of people in this country and in this world are workers. We are the majority as a working class. So what does it mean to organize? That's a term you hear a lot in our movement, and you'll hear it in this conversation today. To organize is to move others to collective action. What does that look like? It could be signing a union card, right? You organize your coworkers to sign the card. Or it could be activism, showing up at a picket line, showing up at a protest. Organizing is moving others to collective action, to doing something. The goal is to do something and to do it with someone else. Another key term is a contract or a collective bargaining agreement, which you'll hear the acronym CBA a lot. CBA stands for Collective Bargaining Agreement, which is also known as a contract. And what that is is the negotiated terms of employment between the employer and the union reps. Each side sits down at the table and goes back and forth in negotiation to determine wages, benefits, scheduling, other aspects of your job. Right? Some very famous workers have collective bargain bargaining agreements. Uh, I first heard about CBAs on ESPN, the sports network. 
because the professional athletes are unionized. And so that was kind of my first exposure as a kid, hearing about contracts and collective bargaining agreements was with the NFL players, the NBA players, the Major League Baseball players, etc. The next term to look at is a grievance. A grievance is a wrong or hardship that you have suffered, real or perceived, which forms a legitimate grounds of complaint. So a grievance is a, you know, is a complaint. And there is typically a grievance process at a workplace. It's the process for resolving workplace disputes. If you have an issue with something or somebody, you can pursue a grievance. And assisting workers with grievances, representing workers during the grievance process, that is one of the main things that unions do day to day. Something else that unions do day to day is protect their members from discrimination. Discrimination is unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people, particularly on the grounds of legal categories, right? The U.S. government has defined certain protected classes of people in the Civil Rights Act, and um, discrimination is illegal based on race age, gender, disability, ethnicity. And so unions are very involved in the day-to-day -day protections of their members with discrimination. One of the most famous things that unions do is go on strike. And if you've paid attention to the news uh, over the past couple of years, you've seen some really high-profile strikes. We've seen the actors and writers of Hollywood go on strike. Uh, the United Auto Workers at the big three auto manufacturers went on strike recently. Um, the Teamsters with UPS came close to a strike this summer. So what is a strike? It is a work stoppage. It is the organized withholding of labor. Right? Going on strike is not the same as just not showing up to work tomorrow. Uh, just, you know, laying out of work, so to speak. That's not necessarily a strike. A strike is an organized, collective withholding of labor, where not just you, but you and all your coworkers decide we are not going to work anymore. And usually this happens as a last resort when negotiations break down, right? I mentioned what a contract is. Those contracts expire. They're only good for a certain amount of time, typically, you know, anywhere from one to, to five years, sometimes longer. Uh, when those contracts expire is when you can see strikes take place. And a strike is the most powerful weapon, arguably, that, that workers have, right? Because what happens when the workers don't work? Nothing, right? There's nothing produced. Uh, without the auto workers, there's no cars rolling off the line. And without cars rolling off the line, the owners cannot make money. They cannot make a profit. So a couple other key terms that I wanted to mention, just so we all have the same vocabulary. One would be a boycott. A boycott is a refusal to buy goods or services in order to put collective pressure on an employer or company. 
I mentioned earlier about the contract process. That is called collective bargaining, the direct negotiations between the union and the employer. So if you hear of a union talking about collective bargaining rights, that is the right to do so, to sit down and negotiate and come up with a contract that covers the employees. I'll mention at some point about how many workers are in contracts right now. Most workers do not have a contract, which means they are their, their wages, their benefits, their retirement, all these issues that they deal with at work are totally at the whim of the employer uh, with some certain guidelines set by state and federal laws. So I mentioned what organizing is. It's moving others to collective action. So an organizer, specifically a labor organizer, is someone who encourages union membership and supports the group's goals and tries to get more people engaged in the, in the goals of the union. Uh, anyone can be an organizer, but unions, of course, do have professional trained organizers that they hire uh, and staff. You'll hear unions talk about living wages. A living wage is a level of income that ensures one has food, shelter, and other necessities. A living wage is not the same as a minimum wage. A minimum wage is the legal minimum an employer has to provide you by law. A living wage is how much it takes realistically in your community to actually survive. I mentioned picketing as a form of protest and a picket picket line is something that you'll hear about in, in the context of unions. So these are actions that occur during a strike, not always during a strike. Sometimes there can be uh, informational picketing and other forms of it, but, but often it's associated with during a strike, you're protesting. You're protesting out front of the workplace, typically carrying signs, passing out literature, trying to draw public attention, and of course to discourage entry from non-striking people. Um, Often there, when workers go on strike, the company tries to bring in what's commonly called scabs, replacement workers, right? So part of the picket line is to discourage folks from breaking that line uh, and crossing the line and performing the work that is currently under strike. And we mentioned what a strike is. Uh, we can expand on that to say, that there is such a thing as a sympathy strike or a solidarity strike. And that is a strike by people who are not directly involved in the, in the labor dispute, but they want to show solidarity with the striking, striking workers and put more pressure on the employer. There are a lot of legal restrictions, particularly in this country, when it comes to those kind of strikes. So those are some of our key terms and vocabulary. Uh, I think it's important to you know define those so you're all on the same page, especially because we can use so much lingo in our movement. So we know what a union is. What do they actually do? When working people come together, they make things better for everyone. Joining together in unions enables workers to negotiate for higher wages and benefits and improve conditions in the workplace. 
There are millions of union members in America from all walks of life. These individuals know that by speaking up together, you can accomplish more than you could on your own. The basic concept is strength in numbers. When you go to sit down with your boss by yourself, that's different from when you and all of your coworkers sit down with the boss as a group, or when you have representatives that sit down with the boss who represent all of your coworkers, and the boss knows that. So what do unions accomplish higher wages? On average, union members make almost $200 a week more than their non-union counterparts. They have better benefits. Unions have achieved better benefits for their members compared to non-members. Union members are more likely to have employer-provided pensions. A, retire a pension is a defined benefit. In other words, as part of your employment, when you retire, you are guaranteed a certain level of a paycheck for the rest of your life. That's different from a 401k, right, which is a stock investment that depends on how much money is put into it, how much value it has when you cash it out, etc. A pension is a defined benefit. It's a guaranteed paycheck that you will receive after work once you retire. They are increasingly rare in this country. Union folks are some of the only ones left with pensions. Um, and on average, union members have better health insurance. Unions have been instrumental in workplace safety. And typically, union members have safer working conditions on the job than non-union workplaces. That means less death, less illness, less injury as a result of the work. So what else do unions do? Well, they provide you a voice on the job. Better workplaces and working conditions with more input and less fear of retaliation, right? When you have a union in your workplace, it's easier to address problems that come up because there are problems that come up in any job, any workplace, no matter how great it may be, uh, no matter what kind of industry you're in, whether it's blue collar or white collar, no collar, whatever it is, there's always issues. There's always, you know, disputes with management. There's always disputes among coworkers. There's always policies and rules that you uh, may not like or that may be confusing. When you have a union, there is a process and a clear route to solve those problems and to speak up about those problems, right? You can go to your union and say, hey, we've got a problem with A, B, and C. Let's, let's work on it. Let's, let's talk about it, right? And your union can address that collectively. That is a much better situation for workers than in non-union shops where to speak up about problems or concerns or complaints you have, risk retaliation. Retaliation is real. Even in union environments, retaliation from employers is real, right? Where because you spoke up, because you complained, because you said something or did something that management doesn't like, they push back on you. So retaliation can look like many different things. Maybe you get your hours cut, or maybe you're forced to work days that you don't normally work. Maybe you're written up and receive some form of discipline 
Maybe you're suspended. Maybe you're fired. Right? And most workers are in a situation where they're at will employment, in, in at will employment, which means you are at the will of the employer. They can fire you for any legal reason, any reason at all that's not against the law, which is pretty broad. Unions fight for due process, right? They fight for job security. So union members are some of the few workers in this country who do not experience at-will employment. They actually have a process to be terminated. The employer has to prove that the, the employee did something wrong and deserves to lose their job, which is pretty reasonable, right? If you've given years and years to a job, you should expect some amount of due process. So unions promote transparency. They help resolve workplace issues. And that's just really, really important when you're in the workforce. You know, what kind of unions exist? There are different types. There are public sector unions, right, folks who work for the government on some level. Right, we have the American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, represents federal employees. We have the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers, who represent local school educators. Uh, ASME represents city and county employees throughout the country. So public sector workers have different sets of laws and rules that apply to them when it comes to unionization, their rights on the job. Um, they fall under different categories than private sector businesses and private sector employers. But again, they're unionized, many of them. So you have public sector unions. You also have trade unions, um, and these are in particular trades professions um, like the iron workers, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW, uh, the plumbers and pipe fitters. And often these trade unions have excellent apprenticeship programs and provide a really great career path in the trades. So I always encourage young people, uh, if college is not necessarily what they're into, if they're not sure what they're into, if they want a career path, the, the trade unions are an excellent opportunity for them because you can get trained, you can earn while you learn, you can actually be paid as an apprentice. When you graduate from that apprenticeship program, you're going to have a college-level equivalent of education and a college-level equivalent of earning power. And you will have the opportunity to have a really solid career with great benefits, you know, working with your hands. And so uh, we always promote that as an option for young people. A lot of young people, particularly here in the South, uh, may not know that these trade unions are out there and that this is an opportunity for them, that they don't just have to rely on what the local community college has on offer. Um, they don't have to just go straight into the workforce, you know, at the local chicken plant uh, or auto parts manufacturing facility, that there are options for you. So trade unions operate a little differently. Often they, you know, have a hiring hall sort of operation, um, and they work for multiple businesses, multiple contractors. 
Then you have industrial unions like the United Auto Workers, UAW, uh, the United Mine Workers of America, UMWA, the United Steelworkers, USW, the Teamsters, the CWA, Communication Workers of America, SEIU. Those are industrial unions. So they will try to represent the employees at a particular employer, right? UAW represents workers at Ford, at uh, GM, Chrysler. And so, you know, the USW, even though they're the steel workers, they might actually represent a lot of paper mill uh, workers, which that's something that's worth knowing um, just right out of the gate that just because a union has a certain industry or type of worker in their name doesn't mean they're exclusive to that industry. The United Auto Workers represent a lot of grad school employees. Um, the United Mine Workers have organized office workers before. Uh, like I said, the USW has a lot of paper industry workers. Um, and so the industrial unions are a little different from the trade unions. Uh, there's another type of union called solidarity unions. These are a little different uh, as well. They typically don't pursue contracts with an employer. Um, I'm thinking of unions like the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, also the United Campus Workers. And so they organize and they try to build power on the job with coworkers, uh, but they may not pursue the legal status of being the collective bargaining representative. And those are often options for members or for workers who are in non-union non -union workplaces uh, and industries that are, are not very unionized. I mentioned earlier some of the highest profile celebrities belong to unions, such as SAG-AFTRA, which is for actors and actresses, uh, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, the American Federation of Musicians, if you go see a, a symphony, you are really into Beethoven and Mozart, and you decide to go check out a symphony, there's a good chance those musicians actually are union with the AFM. And of course, if you watch sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, those athletes are, are union, and they have collective bargaining agreements. So, you know, there are different types of unions. Some operate hiring halls. Some operate without collective bargaining. Some even operate more like, quote unquote, professional associations um, and don't really even consider themselves unions or identify themselves as unions. Then you also have varying levels of, of militancy and activism among the unions. Some are, are more likely to strike than others. Some are more likely to protest than others. Um, some have better relationships with employers than others. It just varies. Uh, also worth noting in terms of what kind of unions exist is that there are federations. There are levels. Right? Just like we have local, state, national government, even international forms of governance. Um, we have similar organization inside the union movement. The biggest federation is the AFL-CIO, American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations. Uh, not all unions belong to the AFL-CIO, but a majority do. And underneath that national federation are state federations, right? We have an Alabama AFL-CIO. And then you have regional 
bodies, which are your labor councils. Uh, so as I mentioned, the North Alabama Labor Council here, uh, my union, IATSE 900, is a part of that. Uh, my co-host, Jacob, is a member of AFGE, which is a part of the Labor Council. So it's a way for unions to get together, to collaborate, to share resources, uh, to have each other's back, um, to come up with common political programs, all those sorts of things. Which leads me into like, how do unions actually operate? So unions are democratic bodies, to varying degrees, admittedly. But all unions are democratic organizations. Union members democratically elect their leaders who are then responsible for advocating for the good of the unit. Some, like I said, are more democratic than others. In some unions, you may be able to directly vote for your national president. In other situations, you may only vote for local leaders who then, much like the Electoral College in the United States presidential elections, right, you, you may elect local leaders who then go and cast votes for your national or international leaders. So typically there are officers in every union, right? Like a president, a secretary, a treasurer, and usually there is an executive board. Some call it a board of directors, some call it a board of trustees, some call it executive committee, but that's typically how you'll see the union structured. And unions at the national level, all the way down in some cases to the local level, unions employ staff who report to management, who report to governance, right? So unions are actually employers. They employ, you know, everyone from data processing uh, and literally inputting membership forms into a system. Uh, to organizers who are out in the field and assisting workers in building new unions or taking care of the unions they already have. Uh, and one thing that can confuse people is that the staff of unions are typically unionized themselves, right? Like a union within a union. So when I worked for the Alabama Education Association, that's an affiliate of NEA, the largest teachers union in the country. So that was my day job, right, working for the AEA and its members. But I had a staff union that represented me as an employee of the AEA, uh, the National Staff Organization. And so many unions are very similar in that sense. Um, to, obviously, you're not going to have the same union uh, try to represent you and be your employer. So you'll go with someone different to represent you. Um, and, and you'll go through the same process as your members in terms of bargaining a contract with management, sometimes having disputes with management. So unions are employers, but they are democratic organizations that are, to varying degrees are run by the membership. The members vote on things like union dues, who represents you, what protections and improvements you want in your contract. Right? So you get to vote up or down on a collective bargaining agreement. You get to decide how much you pay every month or every paycheck and dues, and you elect the people who actually represent you. So I want to take this moment to, to ask about right to work. Um, 
chances are, if you're listening, you have heard the phrase right to work. And it sounds really good. We would all like to have a right to work. It almost sounds like you're guaranteeing me a right to a job, right? But it's a very misleading term. It does not actually have anything to do with a person's right to a job. Right to work is a set of state laws that prohibit unions from receiving what's called fair share fees from workers who are represented by the union and covered by a collective bargaining agreement. In fair share states, so states that are not right to work, in fair share states, unions and employers can negotiate rules that require all workers covered by a collective bargaining agreement to either pay union dues if they are a member or a fair share fee if they are not a member. At no point are you required to join the union in these situations, but because the union covers you in terms of their contract, you benefit from the contract itself and in fact can even request representation from the union and the union's obligated to provide you some level of representation. Because of that, often the union will negotiate in the contract that non-members have to pay a fee to cover the cost. And as long as that's negotiated into the contract, the employer agrees, both sides agree, that is perfectly legal in those situations, but not in right-to-work states. Right? These fair share agreements are illegal. So in all states, unions are required by law to represent all workers covered by a collective bargaining agreement, regardless of whether the worker is a member of the union, which is a very interesting thing. Where else can you think of where you are required to provide services to someone who does not compensate you? But that's the case for unions. So in right-to-work states, unions still have to provide this representation, but workers are not required to pay any sort of fair share fee for the representation. So that creates a free rider problem that obviously weakens unions. Because you have all the cost of the non-members. You still have to represent them. You're still negotiating a contract that they benefit from, but they're not required to pay anything to compensate you for that. And obviously, employers prefer it that way because they recognize it makes it harder for the unions to recruit. It costs more money for the unions to operate in these situations. And so typically, states with right-to-work laws have lower rates of unionization. The, In fact, the 17 states with the lowest union density, the lowest percentage of employees who are union members, they all have right-to-work laws. And not coincidentally, these low union density states typically have lower wages and less robust public benefits than fair share states. And that's not just me saying that. That's our own Department of Labor even says that. Now, right to work is often confused with at-will employment. I hear this all the time. I see this all the time. People say, oh, Alabama's a right-to-work state. You can get fired for anything. The statement is not itself false, 
but Alabama is a right-to-work state and an at-will employment state, as most states are. Um, at-will employment is what means you can be fired for any reason. You do not have to be given a reason. You do not have to be given a warning. You can work for 20 years with glowing evaluations. You could be employee of the month every month for 20 years and be walked out the door by surprise some Friday morning. And that happens to workers all the time who are in at-will employment situations. That's why unions fight for due process. That's why unions push back against at-will employment for, uh, for their members. So right to work is about weakening union membership. It's about forcing unions to take on the cost of non-members without being allowed to ask for compensation in exchange. Really, if you think about it, right to work is big government getting in between the negotiations of a union and an employer. As far as I'm concerned, if a company and a union agree to fair share fees for non-members, seems reasonable it should be there, right? Because if an employee doesn't like it, what do they always say? Oh, we'll go get another job, right? So that option is always out there. Uh, but we are in a right-to-work state, but that does not necessarily mean you're able to be fired for any reason. That's at-will employment. So it's two different concepts. They are related, absolutely, because the less unions you have in your state, uh, the less rights you're going to have in the workplace, just bottom line. And I do want to make sure I clarify, at-will employment means an employee can be fired for any legal reason. It's still technically against the law to fire someone for discriminatory reasons. As the boss, you don't have the right to fire someone just because of their race or their age or their gender. You know, that is against the law. However, here's the problem. Especially when you are in a right-to-work at-will state like Alabama. How do you prove that? The burden of proof is on the employee, and it is extraordinary. So I know personally, I've helped workers over the years who we knew were being discriminated against, but actually proving it in this situation where the employer has the default right to terminate you and discipline you at will for whatever they want, when that's the default, Proving that, no, actually it was because of discrimination is very difficult, and you have to have significant evidence. You have to be willing to pursue a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. Um, you're probably going to need a lawyer, right? So typically, if you're experiencing discrimination as a union member, you will at least have the union to have your back. As a non-union worker you just are, are going to be relying on the EEOC, the government agency who's supposed to handle this alongside any lawyer you can afford to hire, which most workers can't afford to hire a lawyer just whenever they need one. Um, you know, similar for wage and hour 
issues, child labor issues that fall under the Department of Labor's purview. Um, you know, when the laws are just stacked against regular working folks uh, and unions help even out that misbalance of power. Unions help shift the balance of power a little bit closer back towards the work, the workers who actually produce the value from day to day. So we've talked about, you know, what unions are, what they do, some of the key terms and vocabulary associated with unions, um, the different types of unions there are, uh, did some clarification on right to work and at-will employment because that comes up a lot in these conversations. Uh, normally by now I'd be asking folks to consider what would your top three priorities be on the job? You know, if you thought about your current job or if you're a student and you're looking at a future job, what would be your top three priorities? Is it your pay right now? Is it future pay like automatic step raises? Is it health care, you know, dental vision, supplemental benefits, your job protections, the treatment on the job, safety? What would be your priorities? And it's always interesting to get young folks to talk about that and to share with their, their peers and discuss that, um, especially when you have a good mixture of students, some of whom are already in the workforce uh, and a, a almost shocking number of teenagers are in the workforce still in, in high school. Um, but it's always interesting when you have a good mix of students who haven't yet entered the workforce and those who already are in it uh, and they talk about those priorities. So we've talked a little bit about unions, what they are, why they matter. Uh, there is a part two to this presentation where we go a little bit into, okay, so here's what they are. Here's why they matter. Where did they come from? What have they accomplished over time? Um, what are some of the developments and trends with unions over the years? And then bringing it up to the current speed, what are some you know, local struggles and current struggles we've been dealing with? And what are some examples of local unions and job opportunities for young people? Uh, because that's really, really a big part of why I do these presentations to schools and why uh, we do this outreach is to ensure that young people know a little bit about their rights, know about their history and heritage as workers, um, and know about the opportunities in front of them um, that they can pursue a good union job and they could also know that any job could be a good union job if we organize and make it so. So I'm going to save part two for a future episode um, and wrap things up this, this uh, morning. Um, I highly recommend if you are a parent or teacher who's wanting to learn more about unions and how to educate young folks. There are some amazing resources out there. Uh, Little Justice Leaders um, puts together these kits and I ordered one for my daughter. Um, it was a, you know, this was more for elementary age, uh, but there's a great book about Cesar Chavez and Dolores Horta and some wonderful resources that they included with the book. Um, some good questions, some good links, uh, some book recommendations. 
So there are a lot of good resources out there. The Zen Education Project is another great one uh, when you want to teach about the labor movement in our uh, high school history classes. And wrapping things up on the note of, of training and learning more, I can't recommend enough going to labornotes.org slash events to see what they have on display, what they have available. Um, of course, the big Labor Notes conference is going to be coming up in Chicago in April. Um, April 19th through 21st, I believe, is the date there. Yes. Um, a couple of other workshops that Labor Notes has uh, coming up online. December 7th, they have caucus development getting started. And this is going to be all about rank-and-file reform caucuses that have been transforming unions. We're thinking the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, Unite All Workers for Democracy in the UAW. Of course, we've seen uh, the caucus of rank-and-file educators core in the Chicago Teachers Union. So December 7th, that evening, Labor Notes is hosting a caucus development webinar. Really encourage folks to do that. Uh, if you are a member of a union and you're interested in getting it more involved, more engaged, getting it active, uh, if you, especially if you're considering running for leadership and you see that as part of your future. On a kind of related note, Labor Notes is hosting a workshop called What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart on December 5th. Um, for for many of us, if you're involved in this movement for any number of time, um, you may encounter some heartbreak. You may encounter some disappointing decisions, um, some things that union leaders do or that your unions as institutions are doing or not doing uh, that upsets you. And this is a really great workshop to know how to kind of handle that and channel it in the best possible way. Um, and so I highly recommend check out those Labor Notes uh, trainings. Um, also want to put a quick plug for Alabama Arise is coming out with the State of Working Alabama report uh, any day now. Uh, I think the copies are have been delivered to the office in Montgomery. I'm not sure when the big day is that it goes live online. Uh, but you'll want to check out this report. It is a deep dive on the auto industry in Alabama. Uh, so it's a look at the state of working class experiences in the state of Alabama over the past year with a particular emphasis on this auto industry that has grown tremendously over the past two decades. Uh, Alabama has become a, a bastion of auto manufacturing and auto parts manufacturing and of course, in a non-union environment. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting report. Folks will want to check this out. Uh, I know my colleague at Alabama Rise, Dev Wakely, has worked really hard on it. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays over the next year because there's a ton of interest from non-union auto workers in organizing. They have seen what the UAW has been accomplishing They've seen the organizing. They've seen uh, how the big three, uh, you know, did buckle to some degree in the face of this stand-up strike. Did the UAW get everything they needed or everything they wanted? No. Uh, but they won some big victories, and a lot of auto workers in places like Alabama are interested in how they get in on that and how they can be involved. Uh, so really hope that 
this is a, a timely report and will just help inspire and educate workers to get involved uh, and to try to grow the union movement here in Alabama and across the South. And so that's it for uh, today's episode of Shop Talk. Uh, hope it was worth your time. I really appreciate everyone listening. And again, I'll do part two of this presentation for a future episode. But whether you are experienced and you just wanted a resource maybe to share with, pe with people, uh, your parent or teacher wanting to educate young folks, or maybe you're curious yourself, you've heard about unions, you don't really know what's, what they are, but you're interested. You keep hearing about them on the news, maybe uh, heard about them on social media. Hopefully this was helpful for you. Um, like I said, part two would be to dive into a little bit more of the history um, and how unions have developed over time and bring us into the present and kind of where things sit right now um, here in Alabama and across the South and across the country. So if you enjoyed today's episode, I do hope you will share it with folks in your network. Uh, make sure that you're plugged into our work, like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11.00 live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcasts. Portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. Definitely check out our website, tvlr.fm, where we put out articles, we put out newsletters, including Boss Watch and Last Week in Southern Labor, you can sign up for our, uh, those email newsletters while you're there. Check out our merch at the store, tvlr.fm store. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this content for free. So we appreciate the local unions and other organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show, as well as Labor Notes sponsoring Shop Talk. Please hit us up if you have ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in your organization becoming a sponsor. Our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. We also have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way. And we'll even take a good old-fashioned check mailed to our P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 147 here in Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support. We can't do it without you. And so if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate all power to the workers solidarity y'all